Well, he's a fat cat, a cool cat. Nobody's cool cat, but look out, cause here comes Garfield. He never keeps fit, he's too hip. He likes his cat nip, well, look out, cause here comes Garfield. He's always got to be one up on ya. And he'll beat you to the punch every time. He'll give up anything for lasagna. Unless he has to give up on his nap time. Well, he's a neat cat, a fun cat, just a number one cat. He knows what life is all about. Here comes Garfield. Look out, here comes Garfield. Look out, I said, here comes Garfield. So you better look out. Here comes Garfield. You better look out. Hello, 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 Patreon donors. This is a very special bonus episode dedicated to my full thoughts, all of the thoughts that I have on the Cats film. Now, we talked about, you know, you're you're donating at least a dollar a month each and every month. That means you've already heard my thoughts regarding the trailer for the Cats film. But what did I think about Cats the film? I'm here with Patty and Benny, and here's the thing. We are recording this first chunk of this bonus episode before we see the movie. That's it. I mean, we're just recording an introduction. So we are all three of us going to this screening that is sparsely attended. This is an 11.30 a.m. arc light screening that we are going to here in Chicago. We are going to be in a small little group. We might as well all get together in the center of the theater and just bunch up as a family because it's going to be a small, tight-knit group. There's going to be the three of us, and I want to say one other person, so it's gonna get real fucking weird. It's gonna get crazy. I can't even begin to know what I'm going to think about this movie. I have read a lot of reviews, and I'm going to do my best to not crib from them. I have a feeling that this is just going to blow my mind in a lot of ways, and I don't think that's necessarily... It's not gonna be a 2001 A Space Odyssey, my God, it's full of stars experience, but I think it's going to be something akin to that. I might not evolve as a human being. I might not, you know, elevate myself into another plane of existence in the process, but I think something fundamental about me will change. I will walk out of that theater, that screening, chemically altered. <laughs> I will not be the John Bernasek you have come to know. So why don't we just take this time to say thank you. As always, you're a Patreon donor. You are so generous, and it really does warm my heart to know that you always, you stick around each and every month. You're waiting for that bonus content and I've been waiting to give you this particular piece of content ever since we talked about the trailer. I've just been I have been on some weird level excited to see this film. I'm seeing Cats and Star Wars Episode 9: The Rise of Skywalker in the same day. Seeing that tonight with my lovely husband Chris and you know it's going to be a it's a, it's a jam-packed holiday season. That's for goddamn sure. Two movies crashing into each other on the same weekend. What film will do better at the box office. I think we can all assume that it will be Bombshell. Bombshell is going to rise to the number one slot. It's going to slaughter everything else in its path. Bombshell, the movie that we all want to see, as if we don't have enough Fox News content coming at us in our fucking Twitter feeds all the fucking time. Oh, look what happened on Fox News. Stop. Stop retweeting the Fox News bullshit. Don't make a movie out of it. Don't make a pop-up book or a fucking music video. Enough. We just need to get rid of 
the whole fucking enterprise. If you can figure out a way to take down that entire infrastructure, that empire, fine. But I don't want to watch Bombshell. Now, I don't want to watch it, but as I just said, it is going to be the number one movie at the box office this weekend. So I'm just going to have to accept that fact. All right, I think that's enough talking for now. We're going to have a bit of music here, some maybe something from Cats, I don't know. Seems appropriate. Right? Something from Cats. Will I buy the film soundtrack? No, I can't do that. But maybe we'll find something that we can rip from YouTube, a clip from the movie, something like that. At the very least, you'll hear audio from, I don't know, that initial trailer. That'll act as a refresher course for you. I don't know what you're going to hear in this moment. But when we come out of that music, it's going to be hours and hours after this initial recording, and we are going to be different people. Right, Patty, Benny? And you're not going to leave. You're going to stay there with me because Chris doesn't want to see this. He said to me straight up, we've watched many bad movies together, but he knows that this is not going to be a great experience for him. So that's why he's opting out of it. And I, I just got to say, please stay with me. No bathroom breaks. All right. I don't care if you have to pee, just do it in the seat. I can't be left behind with the one other person at this screening, this 11.30 a.m. screening. I can't. Don't leave me behind. All right? Okay, so we're going to hear some music, and then we'll be back with my final complete list of thoughts regarding Cats, the motion picture. That's what it should be called, by the way. Cats, the motion picture. All right, see you soon. Nine Lives presents Morris. The castle's almost finished, Your Majesty. Good. Reserve the dungeon for yourself. Here's the enchanted tower. This is her second childhood today. Hungry, Morris? Lower the drawbridge. I'm leaving. Don't be finicky. There's nine lives. Hark. The sea winds bring a message. Liver and chicken, savory stew. Nine Lives savory stew. Mm. Nine Lives. Nutritious foods cats really like. Even Morris. Only fit for a king, Nine Lives. Hello, hello, we are back. I know that, you know, almost no time at all passed for you just now, the listener on your end, but we have jumped forward in time a few hours. It is still Friday the 20th at the time of this recording, and we are back. We are back with our reaction. Well, <laughs> I should say that Patty and Benny, they're going to have their reactions. We're not going to worry about putting those on the record, so you'll never really understand. They don't like to be on mic, and I don't want to sort of relay their opinions secondhand. Those are their opinions. We're just going to let them have that. This is a show about you and me at the end of the day. You and me. So yes, we're back. We went to see Cats at the Arclight, and I will just say this. I'm going to take my time because I have a lot of thoughts swirling around in my head. The last thing that I wanted to do, honestly, was to take more notes this week. I just wanted to sort of let myself, I wanted to let everything just come out naturally, organically, in the moment. So we went to the Arclight, and as we predicted, there were not a lot of people at this morning screening. It was our tight little band, our three musketeers. And then beyond that, there was a young couple around my age, maybe a little bit younger, a few rows behind me. And then in front of me, a few rows in front of me, was an older gentleman. If I were to compare him to a jellical cat, I would compare him to Gus the theater cat, except Gus is more shabby, and this guy had a nice bit of a posh look about him. So 
silver here, gentlemen. And he came in first. Well, we came in first, and then he came in soon after. And he looked me right in the eye, and he said, well, somebody has to see this film. And my mouth was full of popcorn, and I said, yeah, somebody. So we were just, you know, two people connecting over this shared experience that we were about to have. And as for the young couple a few rows behind us, they had a delightful time. They were laughing it up. They could not understand what was happening before them. And I think that could be said of everyone at today's screening. So let me just start by saying this. Cats the Film by Tom Hooper, it's a transport system. And I'm not kidding. I'm honestly a little surprised how I was walking out of this screening and I thought to myself, I just stepped out of a world that I was pulled into, and I very rarely feel that way when I go to see a film. You know, there is there is a layer of artifice there. You can understand I'm watching a film. I, You know, even if it's a very good film, you may not necessarily feel as if you're being sent into the world of the film. But after two hours, I really do think that I went somewhere. And now I'm back here in this dimension, in this reality, talking to you about about cats. There is a highly specific aesthetic at play here in this film, cats. Every inch of this film is drenched in this neon, gritty, dirty quality. Everything is lit in a way that is, you know, very harsh. Everything pops. Basically, everything pops, but it's like you're watching a full-motion video sequence from a video game. I mean, this this really does seem as if I was brought into some sort of Tron-like reality, where I, too, am one of the Jellicle Cats, moving from level to level, world to world. There, You know, now that I think about it, there really is this sense of a hub space, a Super Mario 64 hub space. The streets of London sort of act as that, and from there we can sort of shoot off into all of these various levels. This isn't an open world game. No, no, no. We have to just sort of earn access as we move to all of these different levels. We have, you know, we have the theater space where we spend a great deal of the latter half of the film, but we're also dipping into the railway station. We're dipping into the fucking milk bar. We're going into a magical barge in the middle of the River Thames. I, I just, I, the more that I think about it, I, I, I know that I left somewhere. <laughs> I walked through a door, I entered into a completely different universe, and now I am back. And what I have to say about the film in general is, in terms of it just being a mess, because I've read a lot of reviews about it just being a total mess on a technical level, and I can certainly see the seams. There are a lot of strange moments where you're not really sure in terms of editing what is trying to be communicated. There are a lot of minor comedic physical moments that don't land at all because the editing is either coming in too soon or too late and you're not really sure you know what was trying to be conveyed on a more positive note regarding the editing i've been reading a lot about how the editing really chops up the choreography and i actually wouldn't agree there was a moment where i was watching the film and i thought to myself i don't think this is necessarily true this is not something that i am picking up on. There is a Jellicle Ball sequence around the midpoint of the film, which I think technically in the stage show acts as the Act 1 finale. And during that sequence, there are a lot of just long shots where we are allowed to see, you know, these large groups of cats dancing about, doing their thing. And I never thought to myself, wow, I'm really, like, confused. I don't know where anybody is in relation to each other. I thought that I could really sort of move through this coherently. Now, these sequences, I'm not trying to say are, they're in no way, they're they're not getting anywhere near brilliant. I wasn't swept up in the choreography, but that jellical 
Michael Ball sequence around the midpoint of the film. That is where I thought to myself, I and the film have maybe locked in with each other, and maybe it's a Stockholm Syndrome sort of thing, but I have absolutely locked into this on a weird level. I'm not enjoying myself, but I think I've finally been able to accept the terms. <laughs> the Cats movie presented me with a list of terms and conditions, and only in that one moment did I sort of give myself over to that. I signed on the dotted line, and I sold myself over to Cats, and I said, fine, my bladder is filled with Coca-Cola, I've been eating butter popcorn since we got here, my entire body is sort of vibrating, and the movie isn't helping. I'm getting really overstimulated. What you have to understand is, again, we did two full recordings early this morning, bright and early this morning. We went right to the movie, and now we're back here. So I am just a swirling mess. I'm a mess myself of emotions. I just want to talk about the visceral quality of this film. Now, the film is drowning in what is known as officially digital fur technology. And does it work? No, not really. Of course it doesn't. Would I have preferred practical costumes and makeup? Yes, and I think all audiences would have been more on board with that because we absolutely are dealing, to this day in 2019, we're still dealing with that Robert Zemeckis Polar Express effect, right? Where nothing is really working in the way that they want it to be working. We're trying to shun the idea of practical effects. No, we don't need that shit. We can do it with computers. I swear to God, we can strangle the marketplace into accepting this. And we never will. There is not a single person, I, I think, in this country, in this world of ours, who's going to see cats and think to themselves, oh yeah, I totally bought the, uh, the visceral quality of these cats. The fur and the makeup, how it all sort of blended together. Yes, it was very acceptable to me. No. These are alien creatures. Half of them look like fucking chimpanzees. They're, they're very creepy. At the very beginning of the movie, we're supposed to understand them as, I think, being very alien, a little bit unknowable. And then by the end of the film, we're supposed to think, oh, we know all these cats. That's Argo. That's that's Hassenpfeffer. That's Corporated. That's Jim Jam. Oh, I love Jim Jam. Oh, there's Gravel over there. Uh, there's Professor Cinnamon Boots over there. Ah, there he is. Big Glass Bottle. I love Big Glass Bottle. It's fun. We know this is like a big, big family. And I almost got there. You almost got me because there was a part of me that thought, yes, Yes, I am familiar with these characters. That must mean that I care for them, that I like them. I'm glad that they're out of danger. Yes. No, not necessarily. But back to the visceral quality. There are moments within this film, despite all of the digital effects going on, I had a real physical reaction to a lot of what was going on. And to combine this with a bit of character or discussion, I want to talk about Rebel Wilson. And if you'll recall, when I watched the trailer, I was a little concerned about the comedy that we were going to be getting from Rebel Wilson. And I should have been concerned. I'm not going to be nasty about this. I think she was... You know what, I don't actually know if she was trying all that hard because her improv seems really listless and maybe she was told to, you know, dilute that shit, dumb it down. There are some there are some truly strange moments with Rebel Wilson because we keep cutting to her during the Rum Tum Tugger number and she is standing by herself at the edge of the frame. There's a trash can at the extreme end of the left-hand side of the frame and Rebel Wilson is just sort of standing in in full view, but she's talking to a character that we cannot see and we keep getting this ADR reaction stuff from the character we can't see, you know, sort of buttressing 
her improv. And it's just very clear that there was some stage hand just sort of saying like, okay, now try something like this. Okay, now comment on the dancing or the tone of the song. Just, you know, come on, Rebel, really work with us here. You're the comedian. We really need you to beef this shit up. You and James, you're supposed to be the source, right? We hired you to be funny, but don't be too funny. Like, don't be too specific. But it's just really strange that she's very clearly talking to a character that is not in the fucking frame. That's sloppy. There are moments like that where it's really sloppy. There's a lot of uh, moments where we see Judy Dench, and I don't even know if I would have picked up on this if I hadn't read about it in a review. I th Actually, I think I would have picked up on this. It's very obvious. Her hands are, <laughs> I mean, she's Deuteronomy. You know, she's old Deuteronomy. We've changed this character, is traditionally played by a man, now it's being played by a woman. That's fine, I have no problem with that. And Deuteronomy is very spiritual. Deuteronomy's a cult leader. And and Deuteronomy is always sort of touching everyone. A lot of nuzzling, a lot of paw on head action. So there's a lot of emphasis on Judy Dench's hands. And there are many moments where we see her wedding ring. And I have to assume that that, that is Judy Dench's wedding band because I don't, I don't think Deuteronomy is married. And I don't think we're supposed to necessarily think that cats do get married in this little world of ours. Why would they get married? Where would they get their rings? It's, uh, you know, a lot of questions come up. I have a feeling that that might have just been a complete misstep on the part of everyone on the production side. Rebel Wilson, Jenny Any Dots. It's not really funny. Nothing is really working. There are a lot of physical moments where she's just falling. A lot, with, a lot of that with James Corden, too, because we apparently, in this day and age, we're, we're going into a new decade, but we still think on some level that fat people falling, big people fall down, that's gonna, that's really gonna get a crowd. It's the universal thing that we all understand that fat people fall because fat people are not used to carrying their own weight. They don't have any sense of equilibrium. They're silly. They're silly. They're clowns. And they fall because they, they almost forget that they're silly clowns, right? They sort of try to take on a sort of confidence, and that's not right. It's not right for them to take on confidence. Maybe they try to express a bit of sensuality, a bit of sexuality. We all know that's not right because they're fat. They're, they have no right to be confident. And so when they try to elevate themselves above those who are not fat, they immediately fall to the ground. That's what happens. They try to elevate themselves and they immediately crash and burn. And it's hilarious to all of us who are not fat. And if you are in the audience and you are fat, then it is, uh, it's essentially that like we're laughing at you. And isn't this a delightful communion that we're experiencing? <laughs> Everybody ponies up to the altar and we, we participate in this communion that demeans and denigrates fat people. Rebel Wilson's Jenny Any Dots has this entire number that is, of course, dedicated to her character. And the character of Jenny Any Dots is this cat who, you know, she lives in a nice house and it's her job to take care of the mice and the cockroaches. Now, in a traditional staging of cats, you would never encounter these mice or cockroaches, but this is a movie right? We have the ability to do anything we want. Sky's the limit. Let's just dump money into this thing. And we, so we are introduced to a trio of mice played by children. The mice are very plump and they have these little tiny human child faces and they're singing in a tiny little stage that, that I, I think Jenny Any Dots has constructed. She's built this tiny little theater for them to perform in. And you know, that's one thing. But then the cockroaches come out 
that's not really something we've seen in a while, not since Joe's apartment have we seen this many cockroaches singing and dancing in a film. And I'm sure that there is a fetish community out there that's really getting off right now on the fact that not only does Rebel Wilson choreograph an entire routine for this population of cockroaches, thousands upon thousands of these bugs, they're, they're dancing on cakes, they're dancing on top of a table, on the underside of a table, but here's where the fetish gets really specific because I think there's a lot of people who are nutting over the fact that she eats them. She eats the cockroaches, and the first time it happens, you know, you could hear, there were very few people in the theater, but we all had a general reaction of, oh, oh, okay, because the cockroaches, there is no attempt, none. These are very, like, realistic-looking cockroaches, right? They look a little wet, a little fucking greasy. They have the feelers and the fucking legs. But then, right where they need to be, according to some creative decision-maker, there is just a pale face. It's an outline. It is if tiny, tiny humans are wearing cockroach outfits and their heads are just sticking out. There is this little aura, this halo that their heads stick through. Uh, I guess we couldn't go as far as turning them into cockroach faces the way we're creating cat faces for all of our lead characters. Apparently someone thought that would be too unsettling. So we just, we've decided to go for these little human faces. And Jenny Annie Dots is eating them. I, I had a feeling that Jenny Annie Dots probably eats no less than three cockroaches. And she's doing it as some sort of punishment. She's sort of criticizing a cockroach every now and then saying, hey, you, don't mess up the choreography. Hey, you, get back in line. Oh, you're not listening to me. Crunch. And the way that the effects just don't work, the effects just don't fucking work. Her plucking a cockroach and putting it into her mouth, it's so obvious that, A, she probably wasn't putting fuck all anything into her mouth. There was probably nothing there to begin with. So there's just this very sloppy special effect where the cockroach goes into her fucking head. And despite the computer digital quality to it all, there's a, there's a realness there. You really do. Like, it's fake and it's all too real at the same time. You think to yourself, Rebel Wilson is eating cockroaches right now, and that's crazy. And then it gets fucking weirder. This happens really early on. This is one, I think this is actually the first character song that we get in the entire movie. And we don't really top ourselves <laughs> in terms of sheer mania. We don't top ourselves after this Jenny Andy Dots number because... At a certain point, she she grabs her own flesh, her fur and her flesh, and we find out that there is a zipper. There is a zipper that is part of her body, or at least we thought it was her body. No, no, no. What we thought was her body is merely a fucking outfit. She is wearing a fucking fur suit over top her own fur, and when she unzips that and peels it away like some sort of vamp you know, torch song songstress, <laughs> like she's in the, in the fucking 1970s, she's Bette Miller at the bathhouses, she peels away her fursuit, and she's wearing a rhinestone red vest and shorts, some sort of crazy rhinestone outfit, and so this entire time, she's just been wearing this crazy fucking fursuit over her, over her fucking body, 
and she's scratching her crotch. There's a lot of, once you start noticing the crotches, I'll just say this, once you start noticing the crotches, you can't not. You can't, you just keep staring at the shadowy sort of Barbie and Ken doll areas of all of these different characters, and it never ends. It just never fucking ends, especially when Idris Elba shows up, and he casts off, he's McCavity, by the way, he casts off all of the clothing we've known him to be wearing, including this very roguish, very muddy, gross, disgusting hat and this gross, disgusting trench coat. He casts all of that away. He is fully nude, just this chocolate fur being that is so slick and shiny, and you just keep staring at the musculature. You you just want to notice the lines that make his body human, and they are. They are. They're there. They're pushing out against the fur, and you just keep looking at the fucking crotch. And you keep thinking, there should be a penis there of some sort, and yet I do not see a penis. Jason Derulo, Derulo, I'm not really sure how, I, I think I'm getting that last name is slightly wrong, and so of course, as always, I apologize for the mispronunciation of surnames. Jason Derulo plays Rum Tum Tugger, who uh, kind of crashes the Jenny Any Dots number and starts his own affair, and that's when we're taken to the milk bar. And this is the one moment in the film where I had a vocal reaction. And this was my vocal reaction. Ah! That, that's, I'm not kidding. That very organically came out of me. And I was not performing for everyone else. Uh, there was, I think, a few moments where I performed for the younger couple behind me. I sort of threw my arms straight up into the air. I was turning and twisting around. So I hope that we were able to sort of communicate. Uh, but yeah, we go to the milk bar, and the moment that I reacted to, very vocally, a cat just sort of pulls on a lever at the milk bar. We, you know, it's on tap. We have milk on draft, you know. And the milk pours out, just pours out of this fucking tap and just backsplashes this wet smack splash against the fucking face of a cat, and it goes all over this poor woman's head. It is a big supply of milk that is coming straight at her fucking skull, and it just goes everywhere. And it is one of the most disgusting sexual things I've ever seen in my fucking life. And in a very similar vein, when James Corden eventually appears in the first half as Bustopher Jones, Bustopher Jones is very specifically known for being a fat cat. We talk a lot during his song, which is so long. It's such a fucking long song. We talk a lot about how he's fat. And he jumps into a trash can at one point. He jumps into a big-ass trash can. And there he finds Rum Tum Tugger, uh, presumably having a three-way with two lady cats. And they have a big-ass bottle of champagne. And Rum Tum Tugger tips the bottle of champagne so that the champagne flows out. And it goes directly, yep, right at James Corden's face. So we're doing the exact same fucking fetish, this fucking splashback fetish. But in this moment, again... It's very clear that it's so fake. If the champagne is not there, it doesn't fucking exist. I don't know why we couldn't be bothered to do a practical sort of champagne effect. But what James Corden is pretending to drink just very obviously isn't there. But it doesn't make it any less disgusting because we keep cutting from Rum Tum Tugger and his his lady friends. We cut from that to James Corden going, mm, uh, 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 uh. cut to Rum Tum Tugger watching this fiasco. Cut back to James Corden. Back to Rum Tum Tugger. Back to James Corden. And then it finally, finally breaks away. 
From what I recall, there were maybe 15 fucking verses in this bust for Jones number. There are certain sequences that just go on and on and on. I had a bladder full of Coca-Cola. I don't, I, I'm surprised I got through the whole thing. Mr. Mistopheles, Jesus Christ. I know the stage show leans on the chorus from Mr. Mistopheles. Oh, well, I never was there ever. You know how it goes. A cat so clever as magical Mr. Mistopheles. I don't think the stage show does that nearly as often as the fucking movie does because I would venture that they sing that chorus about 10 times. About fucking 10 times, if not 12 times. And after a while, you just want to, you know that you're locked in. You can't go anywhere. You have to see what's coming next because it's it's just so morbidly fascinating. But at a certain point, it really does seem like it's a social experiment. I think Tom Hooper and everybody involved, I think this might be a gigantic, I don't, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think that there, this is a test. This is a test. And I do think that everybody should go see this movie because we all need to see how we do in the face of this endurance Test. I think the government is working with Tom Hooper and Hollyweird's machine to sort of figure out how much we can take from our holiday blockbusters. I am, I know I made a lot of jokes about Bombshell and how Bombshell is going to be the number one movie. Ha ha ha, that was so funny. But how much is this movie going to make? I'm serious. Because everyone derided and made fun of Cats when it was on Broadway, right? The, the reviews were dismal. And yet that show ran for years and years and years and years and years and years. It ran for fucking ever in London. I believe there there is an Asian production, I don't know if it's China or Japan, that is still running to this day that's been running for like 10 fucking years. People respond to this material. And I think the deciding factor will be, this is the test, will people be able to put up with the digital effects? Now, I think if the practical makeup and the costumes, I think if we had gone that route, I think this could be a huge blockbuster, and I think we could maybe lean into that assumption. But these digital fucking fur elements, I think that's really going to put a lot of people off, and I think a lot of people might turn away. But I'm very bad at predicting this sort of thing, so I'm not really sure if I can speak from a place of uh, real clarity, or I'm very bad at predicting these things, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Uh, Can we talk a little bit about Let's go back to Idris Elba as McCavity. One of the first times we ever see McCavity is when he's sitting on top of his own wanted poster. A wanted poster that is, I would say, about the size of a sign in Times Square. And this is maybe the only joke that worked for me. It just says, it's his face, McCavity's face, and it says, McCavity, wanted for everything. He's fucking broken every rule in the books. They write this whole plot where he is... He's acting, this is a very easy thing to say, but he's essentially the Thanos of this little cat universe, and he is thinning the numbers. He's trying to balance things out in his favor, and so he is sort of dusting every fucking cat that is standing in his way. Are you not familiar with the plot of cats? I do apologize if you have no real reference for this, but there is a Deuteronomy, as played by Judy Dench, is gathering together all of these cats from all walks of life, but they all have one thing in common. They're all jellical cats, huh? And there's this audience surrogate character named Victoria who has just been abandoned by her owner. We understand that there is at least one human in this universe. There's one human. We got a trio of mice. We got a billion cockroaches. Oddly enough, there is a dog, but we never see the dog. The dog is just sort of mysterious, gigantic, very dangerous, but we. I was really 
frustrated by that because I really wanted to see a monstrous Lovecraftian Cthulhu dog man. I wanted to see some sort of dog man. Why not? Are you fucking kidding me? No, that's too crazy. We couldn't do that. That's ridiculous. So Deuteronomy is gathering together all of these cats from various walks of life and they're all essentially competing for her favor because at the end of the night, after everyone introduces themselves via their respective songs, Deuteronomy is going to make what is known as the Jellicle Choice. And McCavity is desperate to be selected on this particular evening because he wants to go to the heavy side layer. The heavy side layer, it's a little vague, and I think it's vague on purpose, uh, but if you are selected via the Jellicle Choice, you get to go to the heavy side layer, and that is essentially heaven, but you will also get to be reborn. You will be reborn into a better life, maybe the one that you've always imagined yourself living, and McCavity, you know, he's wanted for everything. And so he thinks to himself, the only way that I can go to the heavy side layer is if I take everyone else out of the running. And there's a point where he shows up with Taylor Swift. I cannot remember the name of Taylor Swift's cat. I do apologize. But Taylor Swift shows up with a big-ass can of catnip. She's riding a gigantic cardboard moon that shoots catnip out of every fucking pore of itself. The moon just sprays these fucking cats with fucking catnip. It's crazy. <laughs> and McCavity and Taylor Swift, they, they drug everybody and they've already dusted all of the main players that are standing in McCavity's way and taken them to this magical barge in the middle of the River Thames. And McCavity says to Deuteronomy, Judy Dench, you have to choose me. I'm the only one in contention at this point, which very obviously isn't true because they're standing in a room full of cats who are more than prepared. I mean, many of them are there to just watch. You know, they're part of the crowd. They're just there to take in the events of the evening. But there are clearly other cats who are very obviously wanting to go to the heavy side layer. But McCavity at this point is like, ah, I'm tired of dusting characters. We just need to get to the point. Pick me, Judy Dench. And Judy Dench is like, no, I'm not doing that. So he dusts her, takes her to the barge in the middle of the River Thames, and they make her walk the plank. There's a, oh, what is it, Ray Winstone playing a character named Growl Tiger who has like a fucking padlock necklace. They make Judy Dench walk the plank and in the most embarrassing moment by far, she just says, you'll never be my genital choice. She does pretty well in terms of maintaining her own dignity, but in that moment, when they're making her walk the plank, it all sort of falls apart. It's a complete disaster in that moment. Uh, so just to wrap up <laughs> that whole story before I talk about a couple of other things, random moments. Moments from the movie. Uh, McCavity fails. He is not able to go to the heavy side layer because Jennifer Hudson is brought into the fold by Victoria, our audience surrogate. Grisabella is like, uh, she's this cat that nobody likes. She's just this cat that nobody likes. She used to hang out with McCavity, and now she's a broken woman. She's a broken woman who I, I think they refer to the her home as the wasteland. She roams the wasteland. We never get to see what that fucking little level is, that offshoot of this hub space of ours. But yeah, she's this broken cat. Everybody, everybody fucking hates her. Victoria basically says, no, you deserve a chance too. Come, come, present yourself to old Deuteronomy. And Jennifer Hudson, who she's had a fucking pair, a twin set of fucking mucus trails coming out of her nose the entire time. Everyone's talking about it online. You've heard people talking about this. But the twin, these perfect lines of just sweaty, salty. I apologize if I'm making you sick. There is such a viscous quality to the snot that's always coming out of her mouth. And she screams memory to the heavens. The heavy side layer, she says, I'm making my case. 
And Judy Dench says, you are my jellical choice. And so they put her in a chandelier hot air balloon. It's a hot air balloon attached to a chandelier. And I believe the balloon is sort of powered by the flame energy of the chandelier candles. It's very Wicker Man. They're all part of her cult. And every year they just kill one of their own kind. And she goes up, up, up. And <laughs> McCavity makes one last appearance. He jumps and he grabs a, a fucking a curtain strand that's hanging from that chandelier and he says, ah, ha, 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 I shall go to the heavy side layer now. Ah, ha, ha, ha. But of course he falls. He falls into the hat of some sort of Paul Revere type statue in the middle of London and he goes, oh, curses, next time, Gadget, next time. And you'd think, you would think that would be the end. You would think that would be the end of the movie. It's not. There are at least 10 more minutes after this because this is where the movie lost me. I, I sort of locked into it a little bit in some sort of strange way, but I really needed the movie to be over in that moment because the last shot really should be the hot air balloon chandelier going into the clouds. Yes, going into the clouds, uh, but it's not. Instead, Judy Dench, in what is easily the weirdest moment, she turns right towards the camera and she looks right at you. It doesn't matter where you're sitting in the theater. I, I swear to God, I thought she was staring right at my seat. Whoever had been sitting in my seat would have had that interaction with her. I feel like I met her on some level. And she's like, oh, hello. I know that you probably thought that the movie was over, but I just wanted to go over a few things via song. I'm singing all of this to you now. And I just want you to sort of mull over what you've learned today about cats uh, and really the one thing that I really wanted you I really want you to take this away this is the big thing you got to remember about cats a cat is not a dog and you think that might be it but no we get a full chorus of a cat is not a dog or however the fuck it goes and you think that might be it Nope, it's not. The, the, the movie just keeps going past that point. And Victoria, who has been meeting all of these characters, she she never really competes for the chance of the heavy side layer because she, she keeps telling everyone, oh, I'm not a jellical cat. I'm Victoria. I've just been chasing my beautiful ghosts. That's the original song they wrote for the film, I believe. I didn't stick around for Taylor Swift's version over the end credits, but they're trying to nab that Academy Award, and I do not think it's going to work. And Victoria, this entire time, has just been down on herself. You know, she's kind of a Mary Sue. She's a Meowy Sue is what she is, because she's always helping everybody. She's like the perfect balm for everybody's fucking wound. She inspires Mr. Mistopheles. She inspires Grizabella. And she just keeps saying, but I'm not a jellicle cat. I'm not part of this community. I've been abandoned by my beautiful ghosts. And at the very end of the movie, Judy Dench, turns to Victoria and says, you know, I believe you are now officially 100%, no doubt about it, ears, the tip of your ears to the tip of your tail, you are a jellicle cat. Pause, there's a fucking David Mamet pinter pause, and then she says, a jellicle cat. She says jellicle cat twice in a fucking row with a little pinter pause in between. Then they look up, and Jennifer Hudson's still, she's still in that fucking airship of hers. She vanishes into the clouds, Hard 
blackout. The most inelegant, hard blackout I've ever fucking seen in my life. It just, it doesn't work at all. The movie just turns off. It doesn't know when to end. It technically ends about four different times, and then it just turns itself off. It pulls the plug on its own fucking uh, support system. It's truly fucking nuts. Now, there are a couple of things I want to talk about. There, are a lot of, there have been a lot of complaints about the tinny orchestrations, the synthesizers that are heard on the, the sort of soundtrack. It's a very easy word that I should have been able to pull out of myself. The soundtrack, everybody's been complaining about, oh, it just sounds bad. It's all synthetic. It's these keyboards. It just sounds really bad. Well, I hate to tell you this, but that is what Cats is. Yes, it's very annoying, but I would say that that's actually the most sensible maybe option you could have taken because fans of Cats like Cats as it is. You know what I mean? And you should at least be able to give them that, that classic orchestral sound that's very machine-like, it's very electronic, but why the fuck not? It makes everything all the more strange. It makes everything seem all the more surreal when the cats are dancing about on fucking gigantic tombstones. They go into a graveyard at one point to school Victoria on the nature of a cat and all of the various names that a fucking cat gives themselves. Uh, by the way, if you've not been following me on Twitter, if you've not been maybe paying attention to the main feed, the cat's Twitter profile did give me an official Jellicle name, and that is Persnickety, which is insane, which, because that's what a lot of people called me in college. They referred to me in a snarky fashion. They would call me Persnickety. But I was also given a Jellicle name by Allison Wonderland, Twitter user Allison Wonderland. And of course, that Jellicle name is Malpomony. So my full Jellicle name is Malpomony Persnickety. So thank you very much, Cat's Twitter profile, and thank you very much, Allison, for helping uh, to pull all of that together. Now, here's the... Oh, so that's what I'm saying. The, the orchestrations, I really didn't have a problem with that at all. I didn't need us to sort of like build out all of this and sort of make it seem more lush and classy than it is. It's not classy. This is like fucking gumball out of a machine nonsense. This is just a fucking sugar, salt, rush. It's an endorphin high. I mean, the, the catnip. Can I just talk about the catnip for a second? Then I want to go backwards. The catnip is represented as if it's just fiery embers moving through the fucking space and they sort of land on the cat's little noses, their little snub noses. I was very fascinated by just <laughs> there's a lot of digital technology on display here, but everybody had just very neatly, just for just this, these little smudges of makeup on their little noses. It was very, I found myself looking at the noses. I don't know what to fucking tell you. I don't know what to fucking tell you. And it just gets to a point where the catnip is sort of hard to understand, but everyone's just fucking going nuts. But that's not the weirdest part uh, in terms of just sort of a drug-induced surreality. There is a moment earlier before Taylor Swift shows up. I apologize. I know this is all over the map, but if we could just rewind. So the Jellicle Ball is sort of getting kicked off and the way that that gets kicked off is everybody just gets down on all fours and they arch their backs so that they're sort of U-shaped and they're shuddering. Everybody's just sort of shuddering. And we get that for a while. For about 10 to 12 seconds, we just get this crazy shot of everybody just fucking shuddering. And you think, what's about to happen? Because it kind of seems like they're going to hack up some hairballs. Well, it's funny that you say that because we, of course, do get at least one hairball, and that is during a fight sequence. 
There is a fight sequence between James Corden as Buster Jones, Rebel Wilson as Jenny Annie Dots, and a few other... I think Ian McKellen is part of this fight. He is part of this fight, and God help me, Ian McKellen. The reviews have been saying that he's the best part, and I will say that I kind of have to agree. He's having fun with Gus the Theater Cat. Now, it might be one of my favorite songs. It's just this sort of soft, elderly, gentle, creaky, croaky serenade, and I like it. Anyway, they're all fighting Growl Tiger, who I, I think is Ray Winstone. He's got that, again, pat lock necklace and Rebel Wilson takes a chain and she shoves it right into fucking Ray Winstone's crotch. Again, I don't understand what's getting hurt in that moment, but you know, James Corden also, there are two like cock slam. Oh my God. My balls have been shoved into my fucking cavity jokes throughout this entire movie. And so they're fighting, they're fighting. What was my fucking point during this? Oh, well, James Corden is Buster for Jones uses a hairball as a fighting tactic. And again, it's a very quick moment, and that hairball looks very fake. You can barely see it because the shot is so dark. It's a nighttime scene. But when that hairball comes out of him, that fucking disgusting, slime-soaked meatball comes out of him, they really did. They got me on a few biological body horror levels. uh, They really got me. They fucking got me. What else is there to say, really? I think maybe I have covered everything. We've talked about the graveyard. We've talked about the the shuddering fucking U-shaped yoga cats. That was really fucking weird. And yeah, there is. It's very horny. You know, a lot of people have been talking about online how the movie is very fucking horny. And I would say that there are two competitions going on in this movie. There's the competition for who will be chosen via Deuteronomy's, you know, spiritual wisdom. And then there's the other plot, which is who gets to fuck Victoria? Because every cat she encounters from Magical Mr. Mistopheles, who's this sniveling dork, this dumb, dumb doofus who can't get anything right. There's this gray cat who leads the affair for the most part. I do not know who the fuck that is. I don't recognize the actor. I certainly can't remember the jellical name of the character. But everybody wants to fuck her. Of course, rum-tum-tugger Jason Derulo does. Anybody sort of drops her like a bad habit because he's a playboy, you understand? I would argue that the only character who doesn't want to fuck her is McCavity, and that's because McCavity comes off as this very insecure gay man who's trying to impress his mommy, a.k.a. old Deuteronomy. And Taylor Swift, I mean, what is there to say about Taylor Swift? She actually does a pretty good job. She fits in with the cat aesthetic, that whole digital fur technology, a lot better than some of the other characters do. And I also want to say, while we're just throwing in random thoughts here, there is a cat that looks a hell of a lot like Buster Jones. And there's a moment when Buster Jones comes back after having been on the mystical, magical barge. And we see a moment between him and his, his look-alike. There are these just these two tuxedo cats who look a hell of a lot like each other, and they, they sort of nuzzle each other. And, you know, Hollywood would like to think that their crumbs equal Hollywood gay representation, LGBTQ representation. And I have a feeling that at a certain point, we're going to be told that those two cats are lovers, that they are two gay cats. And you know what? I picked up on it. I don't have to be told. It's fine. It's a crumb. It's garbage. It's not real. And of course, it would come in the form of this ridiculous fantasy movie musical. It's not, you know, God forbid we have any sort of real human LGBT representation on screen. It's supposed to be happening in Star Wars, too. Some sort of some sort of bullshit crumb that we've been thrown as a community. Look, it's gay people just like you. I can't see them. Where are they? They're already gone. They're dead. They died. I think I'm just going to have to call it a day. I'm, I'm just, I'm fucking spent, you guys. It, thank you so much for listening to this. I hope you got something out of it. It's just, I, I love all of our friends, Micro Machine. 
Optimus Prime, Kitchen Sink Sponge, all of these fucking Jellicle Cats, Easter Bonnet, who else? Electric Fence, Kazoo. I love fucking Kazoo. There's Kazoo, and then there's the Great Kazoo, who's his uncle. Those are really good cats. But of all of the cats, I would have to say, before I give you the name of my favorite cat that I'm just gonna make up at the top of my head, and I hope it's really funny, because if it's not, God forbid, you know, God forbid. <laughs> I've been recording all day with Patty and Benny, but we gotta have that, that, that Jellicle name I'm about to make up. It's gonna be really funny, but I just want, I, I remembered something else. I remembered something else. The fact that the cats applaud for one another by sort of lightly wrapping the ground with their paws. So you got to get the, this little, this little quality, but they're also going, if you're not a cat person, this is going to make you fucking loathe cats. You're going to become a fucking cat mercenary. You're going to be the Mandalorian of cats. It's going to be a disaster because when they go, it is so fucking irritating. There's also a pair of cats who have sneakers and I just refer to them as the sneaker bros and they're fun. Every time I saw the cats with the sneakers, I just thought those two cats have sneakers. Oh, I completely forgot. Skimble Shanks. The railway cat. He wears Super Mario Brothers like bright red Crayola overalls and a little fucking conductor's hat and he's got a big mustache. I think I relate to him the most because he likes to, he, he works for the train, the you know, the railway system he works for, humans, and he likes to keep everything neat and tidy. He makes sure that all of the compartments in the, in the fucking train are neat and tidy. And I like that a lot. And the guy doing the fucking character, doing the character, playing the character, great tap dancer. There's actually a lot of really great tap dancing in that fucking sequence. And I think, again, the editing really showcases that. We don't cut away all that often. But of course, going back to my big joke, here's a Jellicle name that I'm going to make up. I've been making up a lot of Jellicle names, but my favorite cat of all. Out of the millions of cats featured in this movie, I would say that my favorite cat is Purple Nurple. Yeah. Purple Nurple has a story that you just have to see it to believe it. It's a really powerful, resonant story. Well, thank you for listening to this very special bonus episode. Thank you very much for donating each and every month. And I am, I'm a disaster right now. I am falling apart at the seams. You can probably see my wedding ring. The fur technology has wiped away. Now you can see my wedding ring. Oh boy, that means I'm being dusted. Ooh, I would love to be dusted by McCavity, by the way. I would love to be taken to that fucking barge and tied up via chains. So much fucking fetish work. Like, ooh, they're being tied up with chains and they're eating cockroaches. Ooh, splashing milk all over themselves. Ooh, greasy hairball. I wish I could make a greasy hairball. A lot of people are going to have a, an awakening via this movie, but I'm going to stop talking now because I'm, I'm fucking exhausted. All right. Thank you very much again. Goodbye. Meow, meow. We'll see you soon. We'll see you soon for more content. I gotta go. Meow, meow. Meow.